Chapter 5 I play pinocle with a horse I had weird dreams full of barnyard animals most of them wanted to kill me the rest wanted food I must have woken up several times but what I heard and saw made no sense so I just passed out again I remember lying in a soft bed being spoon-fed something that tasted like buttered pop- popcorn only it was pudding the girl with curly blonde hair hovered above me smoke smoking as she scraped drips off my chin with the spoon when she saw my eyes open she asked what will happen at, at the summer solstice i managed to croak what she looked around as if afraid someone would overhear what's going on what was stolen We've only got a few weeks. I'm sorry, I mumbled. I don't. Somebody knocked on the door and the girl quickly filled my mouth with pudding. The next time I woke up, the girl was gone. A husky blonde dude like a surfer stood in the corner of the bedroom keeping watch over me. He had blue eyes, at least a dozen of them on his cheeks, forehead and the back of his hands. When I finally came around for good there was nothing weird about my surroundings except that they were nicer than I was used to I was sitting in a deck chair on a huge porch ga- gazing across the meadow at green hills in the distance the breeze smelled like strawberries there was a blanket over my legs and a pillow behind my neck all that was great but my mouth felt like a scorpion had been using it for a nest my tongue was dry and nasty and every one of my teeth hurt on the table next to me was a tall drink it looked like ice apple iced apple juice with a green straw and a paper parasol stuck through a maraschino cherry my hand was so weak i almost dropped the glass once i got my fingers around Careful, a familiar voice said. Groover was leaning against the porch railing, looking like he hadn't slept in a week. Under one arm, he cradled a shoebox. He was wearing blue jeans, Converse high tops, and a bright orange T-shirt that said "Camp Half Blood." Just plain old Groover, not the goat boy. So maybe I had had a nightmare. Maybe my mom was okay. We were still on vacation, and we stopped here at the at this big house for some reason. And you saved my life, Groover said. I well, the least I could do, I went back to the hill, and I thought you might want this. Reverently, he placed the shoebox in my lap. Inside was a black and white bull's horn, the base jagged from being broken off. the tips splattered with dried blood it hadn't been a nightmare the minotaur i said um percy it isn't a good idea that's what they call it in the greek myths isn't it i demanded the minotaur half man half bull groover shifted uncomfortably you've been out for two days how much do you remember my mom is she really he looked down I stared across the meadow. There were groves of trees, a winding stream, 
and acres of strawberries spread out under the blue sky. The valley was surrounded by rolling hills and the tallest one directly in front of us was the one with the large huge pine tree on top. Even that looked beautiful in the sunlight. My mother was gone. The whole world should be black and cold. Nothing should be beautiful. I'm sorry, Groover sniffled. I'm a failure. I'm the worst satyr in the world. He moaned, stomping his foot so hard that it came off. I mean the converse high top came off. And the inside was filled with styrofoam except for a hoof-shaped hole. Oh, stakes, he mumbled. Thunder rolled across the clear sky. As he struggled to get his hoof back in the fake foot, I thought, well, that settles it. Gruva was a satyr. I was, I was ready to bet that if I shaved his curly brown hair, I'd find tiny horns on his head. But I was too miserable to care about sat, to care that satyrs, satyrs existed, or even minotaurs. All that meant was my mom really had been squeezed into nothingness, dissolved into yellow light. I was alone, an orphan. I would have to live with Smelly Gabe. No, that would never happen. I would live on the streets first. I would pretend I was 17 and join the army. I'd do something. Groover was still sniffling. The poor kid, poor goat, sat as whatever, looked as if he expected to be hit. I said, it wasn't your fault. Yes, it was. It was supposed to. I was supposed to protect you. Did my mother ask you to protect me? No, but that's my job. I'm a keeper. At least I was. But why? I suddenly felt dizzy. My vision swimming. Don't strain yourself, Groover said. Here. He helped me hold my glass and put the straw to my lips. I recoiled at the taste because I was expecting apple juice. It wasn't that at all. It was chocolate chip cookies, liquid chip cookies, and not just any cookies. My mom's homemade blue chocolate chip cookies, buttery and hot, with the chips still melting. Drinking it, my whole body felt warm and good, full of energy. My grief didn't go away, but I felt as if my mom had just brushed her hand against my cheek, given me a cookie the way she used to when I was small and told me everything was going to be okay. Before I knew it, I had drained the glass. I stared into it, sure. I just had a warm drink, but the ice cubes hadn't even melted. Was it good? Groover asked. I nodded. What did it taste like? He sounded so wistful, I felt guilty. Sorry, I said. I should have let you taste. His eyes got wide. No, that's not what I meant. I just wondered. Chocolate chip cookies, I said. My mom's homemade. He sighed. And how do you feel? Like I could throw Nancy Bobfit a hundred meters. That's good, he said. That's good. I don't think you should risk drinking any more of that stuff. What do you mean? He took the empty glass from me gingerly as if it were a dynamite and set it back on the table. Come on, Sharon and Mr. D are waiting. The porch wrapped the porch wrapped all the way around the farmhouse. 
My legs felt wobbly trying to walk that far. Groovo offered to carry the minotaur, minotaur horn, but I held on to it. I had paid for that souvenir the hard way. I wasn't going to let it go. As we came around the opposite end of the house, I caught my breath. We must have been on the north shore of Long Island because on this side of the house, the valley marched all the way up to Long Island South, which glittered about a mile in the distance. Between here and there, I simply couldn't process everything I was seeing. The landscape was dotted with buildings that looked like ancient Greek architecture. An open-air pavilion, an amphitheater, a circular arena, except that they all looked brand new. Their white, their white marble columns sparkling in the sun. In a nearby sandpit, a dozen high school-aged kids and satyrs were playing volleyball. Canoes glided across a small lake. Kids in bright blue or an orange t-shirts, just like groovers, were chasing each other around a cluster of cables, nestled in the woods. Some shot targets at an archery range. Others rode horses down a wooded trail, and unless I was hallucinating, some of their horses had wings. Down at the end of the porch, two men sat across from each other at a card table. The blonde-haired girl whose spoon fed me a pop, the popcorn-flavored pudding was leaning on the porch rail next to them. The man facing me was small but porky. He had a red big nose, big watery eyes and curly hair, so black that it almost were purple. He looked like those paintings of baby angels. What do you call them? Hubbubs? No, cherubs. That's it. He looked like a cherub who turned middle-aged in a trailer park. He wore a tiger pattern Hawaii shirt and he would have fitted right in at one of Gabe's poker parties. Except I felt that this guy could have outgambled even my stepfather. That's Mr. D, Groover murmured, murmured to me. He's the camp director. Be polite. The girl that's Annabit Chase. She's just a camper, but she's been here longer than just about anybody. And you already know Sharon. He pointed at the guy whose back was to me. First I realized first I realized he was sitting in the wheelchair. Then I recognized the tweed jacket, the thinning brown hair, and the scaggly beard. Mr Brunner, I cried. The Latin teacher turned and smiled at me. His eyes had this mischievous glint they sometimes got in class when he pulled a pop quiz and made all the multiple choice answers be. Ah, good Percy, he said. Now we have four of four for Pinocle. Pinocle. He offered me a chair right to the right of Mr. D, who looked at me with bloodshot eyes and heaved a great sigh. Oh, I suppose I must say it. Welcome to Camp Half-Blood. There. Now don't expect me to be glad to see you. Uh, thanks. I scooted a little further away from him. Because if there was one thing I had learned from living with Gabe, it was how to tell when an adult has been hitting the happy juice. 
if mr d had a stranger was a stranger to alcohol i was a satyr and a bit mr brenner called to the blonde girl she came forward and mr brenner introduced us this young lady nursed you back to health percy and a bit my dear why don't you go to check on percy's bunk we'll be putting him in him in cabin 11 for now and a bit said sure sure chiron chiron she was probably my age maybe a couple of centimeters taller and a whole lot more athletic looking with her deep tan and her curly blonde hair she was almost exactly what i thought a stereo that typical californian girl who would look like except her eyes ruined the image they were startling gray like storm clouds pretty but intimidating too as if she were analyzing the best way to take me down in a fight she glanced at the minotaur horn in my hand then back at me i imagined she was going to say you killed a minotaur or wow you're so awesome or something like that instead she said you drool when you sleep then she sprinted off to down the lawn her blonde hair flying behind her so i said anxious to change the subject you uh, work here mr brunner not mr brunner the ex mr brunner said i'm afraid that was a pseudonym pseudonym you may call me shiron okay totally confused i looked at the director and said mr d does that stand for anything mr d stopped shuffling the cards he looked at me like i just belched loudly young man names are powerful things you don't just go around using them for no reason oh right sorry i must say percy shiron brunner broke it i'm glad to see you alive it's been a long time since i've made house house call to a potential camper i'd hate to think i've wasted my time house call my year at yancy academy to instruct you we have satyrs satyrs of atmos schools of course keeping a lookout but but groover alerted me as soon as he met you he sensed you were something special so i decided to come up state i convinced the other latin teacher to uh, take a leave of absence i tried to remember the beginning of the school year it seemed like so long ago but i did have a fuzzy memory of there being another latin teacher my first week at yancy then without explanation he had disappeared and mr brenner had taken the class you came to yancy just to teach me i asked shiron nodded honestly i wasn't sure about you at first we contacted your mother let her know we were keeping an eye on you in case you were ready for camp half blood but you still had so much to learn nevertheless you made it here alive and that's always the first test groover mr d said impatiently are you playing or not Yes sir Grover trembled as he took the fourth chair though i didn't know why he should be af- afraid of such a pudgy little man in a tiger print hawaii shirt you do know how to play pinocchio mr d eyed me suspiciously i'm afraid not 
I said. I'm afraid not, sir, he said. Sir, I repeated. <clears throat> I was liking the camp director less and less. Well, he told me, it is along, it is along with Gladiator Fighting and Pac-Man, one of the greatest games ever invented by humans. I would expect all civilized young men to know the rules. <clears throat> I'm sure the boy can learn, Sharon said. Please, I said. What is this place? What am I doing here? Mr. Bran Sharon, why, why would you go to Yancey Academy to teach me? Mr. Do Mr. D snorted. I asked the same question. The camp director dealt the cards. Groover flinched. Every time one landed in his pile. Sharon smiled at me sympathetically, sympathetically the way he used to do in Latin class, as if to let me know that no matter why, what my average was, I was a star student. He expected me to have the right answer. Percy, he said. Percy, he said. Did your mother tell you nothing? She said, I remembered her. Sad look looking out over the sea. She told me she was afraid to send me here, even though my father wanted to, her to. She said that once I was here, I probably couldn't leave. She wanted to keep me as close to her as possible. Typical, Mr. D said. That's how they usually get killed, young man. Are you bidding or not? What? He explained impatiently how you bid in Pinnacle. And so did I. So I did. I'm afraid there's too much to tell, Shiron said. I'm afraid our usual orientation film won't be sufficient. Orientation film? I asked. No, Shiron decided. Well, Percy, you know your friend Groover is a satyr. You know, he pointed to the horn in the shoebox, that you have killed a minotaur. No small feat either, lad. What you may not know is that great powers are in, are at work in your life. Gods, the forces you call the Greek gods, are very much alive. I stared at the others around the table. I waited for somebody to yell. Not. But all I got was Mr. D yelling. Oh, a royal marriage. Trick, trick. He cackled as he tallied up his points. Mr. D, Groover asked impatiently, If you are not going to eat it, can I have, could I have your diet? Oh, can I, eh? Oh, alright. Groover bit a huge shard out of the empty aluminium can and chewed it mournfully. Wait, I told Sharon. You are telling me there is such a thing as a god? Well now, Sharon. Well now, Sharon said. God. Capital G. God. That's a different matter altogether. You shan't deal with the metaphysical. Metaphysical? But you were just talking about our gods, plural, as in great beings that control the forces of nature and human endeavors. The immortal gods of Olympus. That's a smaller matter. Smaller? Yes, quite. The gods we discussed in Latin class. Zeus, I said. Hera, Apollo, you mean them. And there it was again. Distant thunder on a cloudless day. 
Young man, said Mr. D. I would really be less casual about throwing those names around if I were you. But they was but they are stories, I said. They are myths to explain lighting lightning and the seasons and stuff. They are what people believed before there was science. Science, Mr. D scoffed. And tell me, Perseus Jackson, I flinched when he said my real name, which I'd never told to anybody. What will people think of your science two thousand years from now? Mr. D continued. Hmm, they will call it a primitive mumbo-jumbo. That's all. Oh, I love mortals. They have absolutely no sense of perspective. They think they have come so far and have their shit on. Look at this boy and tell me. I wasn't liking Mr. D much, but there was something about the way he called me mortal. As if he wasn't. It was enough to put a lump in my throat to suggest why Groover was dutifully minding his cards, chewing his soda can and keeping his mouth shut. Percy, Sharon said, you may choose to believe or not, but the fact is that immortal means immortal. Can you imagine that for a moment, never dying, never fading, existing just as you are for all time? I was about to answer off the top of my head that it sounded like a pretty good deal, but none of Chiron's voice made me hesitate. But the tone of Chiron's voice made me hesitate. You mean whether people believe in me or not? Exactly, Chiron agreed. If you were a god, how would you like being called a myth? An old story to explain lightning. What if I told you, Perseus Jackson, that someday people would call you a myth, just created to explain how little boys can get over losing their mothers? My heart pounded. He was trying to make me angry for some reason, but I wasn't going to let him. I said, I wouldn't like it, but I don't believe in gods. Oh, you'd better, Mr. D murmured, before one of them incinerates you. Groover said, But please, sir, he's just lost his mother. He's in shock. A lucky thing, too, Mr. D grumbled, playing a card. Bad enough, I'm confined to this miserable job working with boys who don't even believe. He waved his hand and a goblet appeared on the table, as if sunlight had just bent momentarily and woven the air into glass. The goblet filled itself with red wine. My jaw dropped, but Chiron hardly looked up. Mr. D, he warned, your restrictions. Mr. D looked at the wine in feigned surprise. Dear me, he looked at the sky and yelled, Old habits, sorry. More thunder. Mr. D waved his hand again, and the wine glass changed into a fresh can of Diet Coke. He sighed unhappily, popped the top of the soda and went back to his card game. Chiron winked at me. Mr. D offended his father a while back, took a fancy to a wood nymph who had been declared off-limits. A wood nymph, I repeated, still staring at the Diet Coke can like it was from outer space. Yes, Mr. D confessed. 
father loves to punish me the first time prohibition ghastly absolutely horrid ten years the second time well she really was pretty i couldn't stay away the second time he sent me here half blood hill summer camp for brats like you be better influence he told me work with youths rather than tearing them down ha absolutely unfair mr d sounded about 6 years old like a pouting little kid and i stammered your father is the immortal shiron mr d said i thought you taught the boy the basics my father is zeus of course i ran through d names from the greek mythology vine the skin of a tiger the satyrs that all seem to work here the way groover cringed as if mr d were his master you dion you are dion dionysus i said the god of wine mr d rolled his eyes what do they say these days groover do the children say well duh yes mr d then well duh percy jackson did you think i was aphrodite perhaps you're a god yes child a god you he turned to look at me straight on and i was a kind of pup there was a kind of purplish fire in his eyes a hint that this whiny plump little man was only showing me the tiniest tiniest bit of his true nature i saw visions of grapevine choking unbelievers to death drunken warriors insane with battle lust sailors screaming at their hands turned to flippers their faces elongated into dolphin snouts i knew that if i pushed him mr d would show me worse things he would plant a disease in my brain that would leave leave me wearing a straight jacket in a rubber room for the rest of my life would you like to test me child he said quietly no no sir the fire died a little he turned back to his card game i believe i win not quite mr d shiron said he said down a straight tally the points the game goes to me i thought mr d was going to vaporize shiron out of his wheelchair but he just sighed through his nose as if he were used to being beaten by the latin teacher he got up and groover rose too i'm tired mr d said i believe i'll take a nap before the sing along tonight but first groover we need to talk again about your less than perfect performance on this assignment groover's face beaded with sweat yes sir mr d turned to me cable 11 percy jackson and mind your manners he swept into the farmhouse groover following miserably will groover be okay i asked shiron shiron nodded though he looked a bit troubled old dionysus isn't really mad he just hates his job he's been a uh, grounded i guess you would say and he can't stand waiting another century before he's allowed to go back to olympus mount olympus i said you're telling me that there really is a pla- palace there well now there's mount olympus in greece and then there's the home of the gods the co- convergence point of their powers which did, did indeed used to be on mount olympus 
It's still called Mount Olympus out of respect to the old days, but the palace moves, Percy, just as the gods do. You mean the Greek gods are here, like in America? Well, certainly, the gods move with the heart of the West. The what? Come now, Percy, what do you call the Western civilization? Do you think it's just an abstract concept? No, it's a living force, a collective consciousness that has burned bright for thousands of years. The gods are a part of it. You might even say they are the source of it, or at least they are tied so, so tightly to it that they couldn't possibly fade. Not unless all of Western civilization were obliterated. The fire scattered in Greece. Then as you well know, or as I hope you know since you passed my course, the heart of the fire moved on to Rome and so did the gods. Oh, different names perhaps. Jupiter for Zeus, Venus for Aphrodite and so on. But the same forces and the same gods. And then they died? Died? No. Did the West die? The gods simply moved to Germany, to France, to Spain for a while. Whenever the flame, wherever the flame was brightest, the gods were there. They spent several centuries in England. All you need to do is look at the architecture. People do not forget the gods. Every place they've ruled for the last 3000 years, you can see them in paintings, in statues, one of the most important buildings. And yes, Percy, of course they are now in your United States. Look at your symbol, the Eagle of Zeus. Look at the statue of Prometheus in Rockefeller Center, the Greek facades of your government buildings in Washington. I defy you to find any American city where the Olympians are not prominently displayed in multiple places. Like it or not, and believe me, plenty of people weren't fond of Rome either. America is now the heart of the flame. It is the great power of the West. And so Olympus is here. And we are here. It was all too much, especially the fact that I seemed to be included in Sharon's V, as if I were a part of some club. Who are you, Sharon? Who, who am I? Sharon smiled. He shifted his weight as if he were going to get up out of his wheelchair. But I knew that that was impossible. He was paralyzed from weight down, waist down. Who are you? He mused. Well, that's the question we all want answered, isn't it? But for now, we should get you to we should get you a bunk in cabin eleven. There will be new friends to meet and plenty of and plenty of time for lessons tomorrow. Besides, there will be toasted marshmallows at the campfire tonight. I simply adore them. And then he did rise from his wheelchair. But there was something odd about the way he did it. His blanket fell away from his legs, but the legs didn't move. His waist kept getting longer, rising above his belt. At first, I thought he was wearing a very long white velvet underwear. But as he kept rising out of the wheelchair, taller than any man, I realized that the velvet underwear wasn't underwear. Wasn't an underwear. 
It was the front of an animal. Muscle and sinew and a coarse white fur. The wheelchair wasn't a chair. It was some kind of container. An enormous box on wheels. It must have been magic because there's no way it could have held all of him. A leg came out, long and knob, knobby kneed, with a huge polished hoof. Then another front leg, then hindquarters. Then the box was empty, nothing but a metal, she- metal shell with a couple of fake human legs attached. I stared at the horse who had just sprung from his wheelchair. A huge white stallion, but there, where its neck should have been there, <clears throat> there was the upper body of my Latin teacher, smoothly grafted to the horse's trunk. With a relief, the senator said, I'd been cooped up in there so long, my fetlocks had fallen asleep. Now come, Percy Jackson, let's meet the other campers.